Hello and welcome to Three Worlds Podcast number 25. Um, I'm not going to talk about healing tonight. I'm in the process of working out a whole series of podcasts on healing, kind of starting with uh, uh, the root causes of illness from a shamanic point of view and then kind of, you know, how they're dealt with. But that's not tonight. Over the last few days, I've been sorting through a box of tapes which I've had kicking around in my recording studio for a long, long time. Cassette tapes. Does anybody remember cassette tapes? Um, actually, they were pretty neat things, uh, but uh, thank goodness things have advanced a little bit since then. Anyway, I've got this box of cassette tapes, and they're cassette tapes that I have been given and some that I've recorded myself of different medicine teachers and shamans and, you know, bits from workshops and recordings from sort of uh, bits of radio and all sorts of stuff on there. There's just a whole variety of stuff, Native American and some Anglo-Saxon stuff and whatever. Um, and I just thought, well, it's such a shame they're kicking around in my recording studio and I never ever play them and nobody ever gets to hear them. So I thought what it would be really good would be to bring into my office a, uh, a, a cassette deck and wire it up to my Apple Mac and record them all to MP3. So the last few days, that's really what I've been doing. I've been doing sort of, you know, subscriptions, sort of admin, you know, database work and all that sort of stuff, the sort of nitty gritty essential day-to-day -day jobs of the magazine. And uh, in the background, there's been Wallace Black Elk and Bearheart and Sunbear and this Rinpoche and that Rinpoche and whatever, kind of, you know, wittering at me. And... I'm going to put a few of them out as podcasts. Part of what I've been doing, especially over the last couple of days, is listening to Sunbear again. And when I put some Sunbear into a podcast a little while ago, I promised I would do some more. And I had a load of emails from people saying, oh, please, can we have some more? Because apparently some of you really enjoyed it. So I've found that I've got some much better recorded uh, bits from a workshop that Sunbear did in London in 1986. So we're almost getting into prehistory there, when we were all much younger. And some of you may not even have been born. Um, so I hope you'll enjoy this. Um, and I'm going to put a few more out over the next sort of week or two or three. You know, just just some bits and pieces. Probably mostly Sunbear. Um, I'll have to see what others are good enough quality. I don't want to sort of broadcast bits that you have a struggle to listen to. And some of the recordings are pretty awful. But anyway, here is Sunbear talking in 1986 in London. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, that's very good to be here with each and every one of you. It's something that uh, as we move along the path of life, each one of us, we need to first take a look at ourselves and find out where we're at at that moment on the path before we move to the next part of it. One of the ones, the things that the old native teachers always, when I would go to them, was I would take and 
be there and I'd be asking, uh, 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 like lots of times I would be restless because I was young and I was restless and I want to go some other place. And they would always say, well, where are you at right now first? And this is part of the, the thing that I feel that I'm going to ask you at this time. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to pass this talking stick around. And what I want you to do is to think for a moment and also think about your name. And when you give your name, give it with power. Give it, give it, because Native people, they think of names as ways of empowering us. Like a name is given by, in a Native way, it's a very powerful thing to give a name to someone. And it has spiritual power, it has many powers, the name. Uh, in the Native way, when they name a child, at the time of that child's uh, <coughs> birth, they name it, might name it about an incident, something that's happened, or else maybe it's after in honor of a power or a force. And as you grow, you grow into that name. Now, many of you have, you know, you, you all have primarily names that come to you from your parents in different ways, but they must have, they, they were thinking of some good, good thought when they gave you that name. So as you, as you get this talking stick, just give your name as, you know, and think of it as something that empowers you, having that name in a sacred way, that's what we say. And also give me just one word of what, what, where you feel you're at this morning, okay? This is a talking stick, and maybe I better explain a little bit more about talking stick before it comes to you. A talking stick to Native people is a way of giving a person the time to set aside, to center their thoughts, and to share their most powerful, most positive moment with us. When we have a circle, council circle, we pass around the talking stick. We have a unity gathering, we pass around the talking stick. This one was made and given to me as a gift by a German brother. And it represents, wood represents the plant kingdom. We have a piece of stone for the stone kingdom. This represents the ocean people. This represents the forelegs. And this represents the flyers. And we are holding it so the human is represented. My name is Manak. My name is Sunbear. And I feel good this morning. I feel I've tasted the air and the earth as I come in. And, and just thank the Creator every time I come by some beautiful flowers or something. And all those things have said, give me a feeling of thank you. It's something that... Uh, one time, the way that it was with our people, and still is with some of the people, is that whenever a child, a young child, whenever they were, where they were growing up, they would be asked by their parents, by their uncles, by their aunties, they wouldn't be asked if they knew their ABCs or something like that. But the way that they were asked was to give them a feeling of the understanding of the beauty and the love of life. And what they 
would ask a young child, Wes, what did you see that was beautiful today? And so that's a question I'm going to ask you at this time. What did you see that was beautiful this morning? It's good. Oh, it's something of it that <clears throat> if we can learn to feel the things that are around us when we see the beauty of nature and the creation and if we allow it to feed us just to looking at it and feeding on it feeding on the good energy of it that's a feeding that we need to keep us alive and rejuvenate our energies and make us feel whole beautiful human beings the way that I work with the path of power my my path of, and my approach to life is that when I get up in the morning the first thing I say is thank you great spirit I'm alive because if I'm not alive I couldn't experience all the rest of it and then I look in the mirror and I say thank you creator for just just being here just being and feeling and experiencing and I look out the window and I say thank you for the beauty of all the creation all the earth around me because that's that's something that I'm I'm connected with like I can watch sit and watch a rabbit playing on the grass and feel feel thankful for that or watching the birds feeding outside and just feel thankful for that and I it feeds me an energy that makes me feel good and that's that's part of the healing of, of life to me I can I, I also as I go in and look in the mirror I look at myself in there and if I'm really feeling it maybe well this is going to be a day that I may have to have a little extra challenge in it or something or maybe somebody's not going to take me seriously or something then I uh, make faces at myself in the mirror for a little while and I can you know I just and I figure if I if I do it all to me then nobody else can ever you know put me down in any way because I already got it all covered you know <laughs> and that is is the thing of it of life is is learning to be in a feeling when you have when you have a feeling within yourself that hey it's okay everything's okay then the rest of it don't don't really uh, cut into you too badly and it's something about it that the human being has a real problem with life with just living life the human being has a real problem living life that's that's the thing that I, I can't understand because it, it's like I see, saw a poster a while ago and it showed all these animals on it and, and it's and the caption under it was all the animals in the world except man know that life is for living man is the only one that has little problems that he gets really confused about what it's about and it's something that we need to take and take and build within ourselves like each one of us on the earth is a separate distinct human being 
Each one of us is that. Now, sometimes we don't allow ourselves to be that. And sometimes there's nations or people who don't want to allow us to be that. But you look at it, you know, and you look around the room here, nobody's got the same face as you, you know. Nobody's got the same face or same look as you, each one of you, you know. You're all separate human beings. You all come out differently, you know. And that's that's what makes it kind of fun, you know. Makes it kind of fun, you know. It'd be kind of kind of boring if you went down the street and saw the same face on everybody, you know. It'd be kind of boring, wouldn't it? This way, it makes it makes life just a little bit little bit different for each one of us. And also, the way each one of us comes together up here, the way we think about life as the perspective we find in life is what is is ours, you know. Because all the time we're looking out of that little jar that we call our our body at the rest of creation around us and how we see it. That's how it is, you know, to us. The perspective that we put on it in terms of it. And that's something to look at because I really, uh, I've really been watching my brothers and sisters a lot the last while. And more, it's getting to be where I'm really trying to find out something. You know, there's something that is very deep in, in the thing of it because I look, I go to different countries and the people in the different countries have a different approach to life. They look at life a little bit differently, you know, in terms of it. And I keep asking the Creator, I say, well, who made, who made these different people? And what I'm talking about is I'm not talking about the, the thing of it, you know, that we all ended up on the planet and the Creator, creator did, took care of that part of it. But the shaping of our minds and the way we think and the way that we deal with the world and the earth and the creation and the things around us, you know, I look at it. And I, I keep asking, well, how come these people do ended up doing it this way, and these people end up doing it that way? The architects, the the mental architects that created our particular way of thinking—that's what I, I'm concerned about because I, I'm really, I'm really not sure that they did the right job always, you know. Like over in Germany, the people there—they live in villages, and the farmers—they go out and they cultivate the land there. In England, they live out more out on the land in the areas that I've been there, more out on the land. In America, that's the way the farmers live there. They live out on the land and they have different different land areas in terms of it. But, uh, and it's more of a, of a sense of like, in each step along the path, there gets to be more of a sense of ownership of the earth. And, well, this is my land, my this or my that and so forth. And it's so different than the native way of looking at things. And that's why I keep asking, well, how come we do things that way? And I believe that the thing that we, we look at is, is when we look at how we look at the earth, we look at our fellow human beings, uh, uh, and 
the, everything around us. That is something that we need to really look at very deeply because that is where the destruction of the planet is coming from right now. The destruction of the planet is coming from the way that we regard the creation around us, the earth and everything, and the way we have built our little boxes up that we call nations. Because now those little boxes, it's gotten to where those lines that we've drawn have gotten to be really, really hard lines. Like over in Germany, they've even gotten to where they build one out of concrete and, and steel across the land, across the earth. And the birds, they live on both sides of it, you know. Same birds, you know. And the birds, the thing of birds, one advantage of the birds is, you know, like we've got sparrows over in Germany, see the same sparrows in Germany as you see in England, and they all speak the same language, you know, they don't have any problem, you know, and, and, uh, no, and no conflicts of, uh, of, of uh, national conflicts or anything. And I, I look at these more all the time. I, my, my ultimate wild, wild dream of the world is to take 100, 200,000 people and just go across the Canadian border all in mass, you know, and that's the end of that border. And do this, do the same thing of the Mexican border, you know. And then after we get it going there, then come over and help the European countries to do the same thing. Till finally there isn't any, any borders there, you know. And I think that that might be one of the steps toward ending a lot of funny little things, games that we play, you know. Because I feel it, and in one way, I think we're beginning to do that, you know. In one way, I think we're beginning to do that. Like I see a growing energy that we call the New Age, or the Aquarius Age, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it is happening in the United States and Britain, Australia, New Zealand and everything, that there's a growing energy of people who are sharing and seeking and are open. That's a very important thing to the same type of knowledge. And that's the beginning of, of some very good possibilities in the world. That is, that is the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not the summits of the U.S. and Russia and, and all these other little things. They, they're kind of, uh, that's, uh, the only hope we can have from them is that they won't, you know, end up killing each other off quite so quick. That's about the only hope. But the ultimate hope, I think, is getting people to open up to where we acknowledge each other and realize that each one of us has a gift to bring. Like the Native people, this is what we, we taught and felt about it. This is what the ancient medicine wheels were of America, were places where people come to share their gifts, their gift of power and knowledge. And I feel that that is where we are at right now, is that there's something maybe, you know, like, like over in the United States, a lot of us are using uh, Bach flower remedies. And Bach flower remedies, they come right from right over here in this land over here, you know. This is where that started up at it. And there are many different things that, that we are coming to sharing and exchanging 
of things like that there. Because to me, uh, you know, the one thing about it is that the, the American ulcer or the American heart attack is just exactly the same as the British or the Dutch or the Russian or any of the others, you know, they're also, they're also, they're, they're, they're just like the birds, those illnesses, they're very universal, there's no, no difference in them. So if you, somebody over here can come up with a way of helping a person to heal that person, that should be really good, you know. You shouldn't put a, put a sign on it and say, well, no, we can't take and use that because that's British, you know. We've got it we, in terms of it. And, and you know, it is really, that is one of the sad, deep things that is happening and happened in the world for a long time. Even with my own tribesmen, they say, well, no, I won't do that. That's not the Indian, you know. And it's those little locked up boxes that are sending a lot of people to the cemetery still. Very, very important to get free of those things. It's like I shared with the folks last night here at the lecture. You know, people, the BBC people, they don't feel that I'm capable of giving coherent, intelligent knowledge to people uh, because I'm, I'm an American Indian. Eh? The only thing that would make them interested in me would be if I was had feathers on, you know. He said, well, he's, he, got, he asked, asked my friend Peter when he asked about setting up an interview with him, he said, well, has he got feathers, you know. That was all they were interested in. And I was over to, I did an interview with a paper over in Bristol, over here, and they wanted me to do some hokey thing, like put my hand up, you know, like this, to do a how sign for them, you know. That was where they were at. And it is something about it that I, I really think that we have to be able to reach beyond our fears, our prejudices, and our arrogances, and saying, hey, you know, this works. If it works, I don't care if it's a Chinese or a guy from Borneo, if he's got something that works and it helps to heal us, then that's power, see? That's real power. That's medicine. And and that is something that I'm, I'm working with very strongly, like with my apprentices. What I, we're setting up healing centers, healing and rejuvenation centers. And when we're set, uh, setting these up, I tell them the one thing I don't want is I don't want somebody to dogmatically sit there and say, well, this is the only thing that'll cure that person, you know? Like, and we do have this, even in the New Age people, some of them get to say, well, my method is the only thing that works, you know? Don't, you know, just forget about the rest of them, you know? You're gonna have to have the acupuncture or whatever it might be, and this is the only thing that works, you know? And so we are getting to where some of us are beginning to duplicate the old dance, you know, that we, I thought we were trying to get away from, you know, because it's, it's being carried over, and it's also carried over into some of our philosophies, you know, our philosophies. I see people that make a swap, and they just swap the, the good old man in Rome for somebody else, and they say, well, this man now, he's got the total, total story, and nobody else has the answer, you know. And that is very, very dangerous. To me, the way I operate and the way I try to teach my apprentices to operate is that we got a great magic scanner that scans the world. 
And this magic scanner all the time is looking for every pinprick of light out there. And when we see a little pinprick of light that says, this is knowledge, we go to it and we say, oh, please, can't we just learn just a little bit of that so we can help to heal our people? That is what we feel is the sacred way, and it's the thing of it is that we believe that that is the way that the Spirit has put us upon the earth. Many medicine people don't feel that they can heal themselves. They feel that somebody else has to do the healing for them on their own body, that they don't have the power for that. Their power is like they can heal another person and make medicine prayers for that person, but they can't do their own healing. Because the Spirit keeps us in a position where we are dependent on somebody else for something. Otherwise, we get too arrogant. If we have all of the gifts and all the power ourselves, one person, and we say, oh, well, we, we, got, we got all the answers now, so we don't need anybody else. And that is the thing that we are having to grow past. We have to grow past that to where we are willing to accept the help and healing from other people in a sacred manner. In, in my approach, when I go out and I've met with many different medicine people, different healers and sacred teachers, and I'm thankful for each gift that they give me and that I learn from them. And I have them, I have young medicine men that are apprenticed with me now. I have a Comanche medicine man who's apprenticed with me. I have two medicine men up in Canada that are apprenticed with me, and they're recognized medicine men already by their own families. I have one, I have a Blackfoot woman who's recognized as a, as a healer by her people, and she's apprenticing with me because she wants the knowledge that I have to share as well. I have a Sufi teacher that is regarded by many, many people of his people as being a sacred teacher, and he also is apprenticing. And to me, this is the path, this is the path, this is the sacred path, is if you have something that you, you have a gift of knowledge, of healing, and that is something that's needed by the world, then share it with them, and then but be open all the time. Keep yourself open so that if somebody else is holding up something and they say, hey, this is good medicine too, as you are open to hearing that or feeling that. Uh, it's something that we need to look at as human beings is right where we're at right now on the planet. We need to look at that. We need to look at what we are doing right and what we are doing wrong. And we need to look at a way of developing a philosophy, a way of thinking, a way of seeing and viewing the world that gives us a strong, lasting power and perspective in ourselves that we can use to help to heal the world and to create positive change at this time. 
That's what we need to do. All of the rest of the religions and philosophies of the world are bullshit. They have no power unless if they work on an everyday basis. Now that's something, that's a heavy statement. I know that's true. But I've come to where I, I'm inclined to agree with Karl Marx and that religion is opium of the people. The only thing that difference is that I think that communism is also another opium. That is the big problem. And what you have to do is that we need, human beings need a belief system. That's part of what the, what the way of it is. We have to have something that tells us what, what the world is about. We have to tell us something that connects us, something that gives us a way of looking at the world and understanding it, understanding the creation and the universe around us in a real way. Something that connects us to us so that it identifies with all living creation. It's very, very important. It is the power of our belief systems that makes life work for us. I hope somebody's taking it, making a tape of this, because this is my best. I want to tell you that. <laughs> Are you getting me, all of you? The thing is that a lot. Oh, but was I on tape? Yeah, no, it's okay. It's like your voice wasn't coming through. Okay, good. Okay, good. Uh, the thing is that in the world over all of these years, the majority of the political and religious leaders have built things that were set up to utilize the people. They weren't set up to build the people into their own power. They were more of a thing to create a power structure to keep the people in a perspective so that they didn't have power. This, this has been the way that the little dance has been done. Because, and, and as a result of that, and that the majority of people having the idea of taking their power in life is very frightening to them. Because they are used to being, and, and some of them, they like it that way, and they, want, they, they think that's the best way to do it. They want to have somebody else do it for them. And they say, well, you know, we, gee, I'd have to think a little harder if I had to start working in my, my own formula of life. So, uh, I'm going to let Reverend John take care of it, or let somebody else take care of it, or Margaret Thatcher will make a formula up for me, or, or maybe somebody else will do it. And and besides, you know, well, I'm not I'm not really smart enough to think about that. You know, I've been, I I'm I it, it's much easier to just let it go this way. And this is something that is created the world that we live in at this time, this way of thinking. It's like one time to one of my friends, I told him,
I, I said, I said, I said, it's people like you that have made this country what it is today. And he said, you want me to punch you in the mouth now or later? <laughs> to me, it is the way that we have created, a philosophy has been created, and the majority of people have just accepted and said, that philosophy is, you know, well, that's, that's the thing that's written down here and it's recorded in a book and everything. And that is the one that we must take because our daddies and our mommies before us took it and everybody else along the trail and we've gotten to where we don't bother to check and see if it really works or if it really is in harmony with the creation and the earth around us. Most of the philosophies of today are anti-nature. They are anti-nature. In terms of it, their approach is that uh, nature is just, is just a backdrop for mankind. And whatever you want to do with nature, well, you can take and utilize all of, use up all of the resources, everything there. And like one of them over in, uh, a man over in <clears throat> the United States named James Watt, he was the man who was the Secretary of Interior for Mr. Regan until he got into too much trouble. Well, this gentleman, he said that, don't worry about it. He says, use up all of the natural resources because in a while the world is going to be blown up and all of us good people are going to go to heaven, so why not just use them all up? And there was no, no sense of respect, love, or responsibility for the earth very much of a thing of it that we have to look at is the fact that the very reason that we relate the way we do to the earth and the majority of it is the conditioning and the way that the society in general has put it to us and this is true of all of the prominent societies for the most part uh, prominent philosophies for the most part they don't take into consideration the earth the rest of creation. The rest of the creation is just just there and we use it, and, you know, it's, we might admire think it's pretty to look at a sunset or pretty to look at some flowers and stuff. But if the next if the day after we're gonna build a super skyscraper so nobody can see the sunset, that's that's perfectly all right. That's man's right to do it. Or if we're gonna take and tear up that flower bed tomorrow and build a subdivision on it, that's perfectly all right, you know because that's man's right to do it, you know. That's, the, that's what the, uh, we need to look at that because it is a way of thinking that has created the destruction of the planet that we're at right now. We have like in places like Thailand and places like Thailand, there is all of the lakes over there in Thailand at this time are all polluted to such an extent that all of the fish have died. Many of the lakes on the west, on the east coast of the United States and Canada, they're dead now from acid rain, from heavy pollution. And it is all of an approach of an anti-nature philosophy that has been 
allowed to happen in our perspectives of life. It comes from the very beginning of our childhood. The stories that were fed into us often were of the deep, dark forest with the nasty, fierce animals there, you know. And the thing of it was that we also, we were told that, you know, that in terms of the, the expression we use, that, that wilderness, wilderness is a place, is wild land beyond the control of man. So that's, and our perspective of it goes into the way that we feel in so many different ways. Like I, I know a lot of people that are afraid of the dark. And their fear of the dark to me is a thing of it that they're afraid of the dark because they're afraid of the, what they have done and the, all humanity has done to nature. And they have a conscious fear that there's some boogeyman that's going to come out there and grab them and shake them up because of the fact that they've been such bad people. So we, we look at these things. Now the other thing is that the more alienated we've gotten from nature, the sicker we've become, mentally, emotionally, physically. And the, we see that, you know, like you see that the, the, the foods that are less natural are the ones that create the most illnesses, you know, like you got over, you know, all of the cancer breeding things and everything else. We put all these, all these funny little things into our food uh, to make it taste good or to uh, some different trip on it. And it's, it gets worse, gets worse, you know. The feeling of it is that, my feeling of it is that we're going to have to begin to just restructure our whole thinking. And I believe that that restructuring doesn't have to wait, you know, for, for the whole world to do it. I believe that it starts with groups like this who make a conscious change in their philosophy of how they think and feel about the earth, about the creation, and where they begin to look at the world as it is and say, hey, you know, I don't want it to be that way. I don't want it to continue that way, you know. I want to take and make some changes in the perspective I have of life. And when that perspective change comes about, then it extends out to the next person and the next person. Because if you are consciously living your life that way, that's the beginning of it. What? There's time. There's all kinds of time. You have eons of time you haven't even used yet in the world. Okay, I'll say I'll answer that for you. What I feel is that there's uh, what we're we're moving toward right now, and what is really happening on the earth is that there is a conscious group of people all over the world. This is a new new nation, a new world of people being born that are moving in this way and are growing into it. My thing is is strengthening them. Like most of you wouldn't be here if you weren't, didn't have some degree of consciousness about these things. But putting it into a perspective that you can say, hey, this is what, what it is, this is what I feel. And I feel that when people 
step over and start applying that, that's that's the beginning of time for them. And I think it, it's something of it, it's like with my own self, with the Bear Tribe, the group that I've been with, you know, for the last 16 years, we've been totally self-sufficient and that we haven't worked for anybody outside of ourselves. And we are now producing 70% of our own food directly from the land. Our fuel for our homes uh, comes from tree tops that would otherwise be causing fire hazards in the forest. We try to take a responsibility for the earth in every possible way. Like over in the United States, they have the little thing of uh, Christmas trees. They cut the tree off, and then it's in your house for two, three weeks during Christmas season, and then they chuck it out in the garbage afterwards. And what the Bear Tribe, what I've been moving the Bear Tribe toward doing is uh, for the last two years, we've been uh, taking and buying live Christmas trees and keeping them in our home during the time of the uh, holiday seasons in the spring, we plant them out in the ground. That's to me is what we I feel is has to happen. It has to be a conscious identification of everything and moving at within your own sector or energy field. And it begins there. And if you're living that life and you're feeling good about it and you're you're doing it and feeling good about it in a way, then then you then you're on the way. To me, it's, it's something that I look at. I look at the people who are the people that we we would espouse to to as our examples in the world, like Jesus. He said it. You know, Jesus said one of his statements was, "Contentment with godliness is great gain." He was telling him that you know, if you're happy doing something good, then it's good, great gain. Great gain. But if you're doing something and you say, "Well, I'm being good," and you're just miserable as hell being good, well, then you aren't doing much for yourself or anybody else. And like Mahatma Gandhi, Gandhi was a great, uh, great man. He achieved a lot in the world. And like I used to tell people, they'd look at me kind of startled when I say it. I say, "Well, uh, Gandhi got his rocks off doing what he was doing," you know. He was doing something, and he enjoyed doing it. And this is my my perspective of life. This is why I'm doing the things I'm doing. I enjoy doing them. I believe in them, and I feel good doing what I'm doing. And I think that that's the that's what becomes like like as people grow into their power, and you become. And that's that's what I'm I'm trying to teach people. Like I'm interested in tens of thousands of people that are have reached a consciousness level that are capable of thinking and moving as strong units of energy toward making and creating change in a real way. That's what has to happen in the world. And and I feel that that, that is very possible. See, that is very possible. Like, I know a lot of people are becoming interested in Native American things, and some of them are moving toward it from a standpoint of wanting to learn about spiritual power, you know, and power in terms of it. And that's that's good, but one of the big things that has to happen is that when you take on power, you take on the responsibility of that and learn how to use it as an effective force in your life toward helping to create change in a real way. To me, that's that's what I'm seeing, like my my 
apprentices that are really growing into their power. They're like, they are like amplified energy fields. They've gotten to where that they're so powerful an energy field themselves that they just draw many people into them. And it's that growing energy that happens that way, and then they feed them, feed them the good things that help them to make make their path strong. And it needs it's a thing of it that uh, I value is is seeing people grow into their powers, whole human beings, and learning to use it as a real thing. And not not the ones like 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 what happened when I went I went down to do a lecture, workshop in uh, San Diego, California. And the, the woman who brought me down there, she said, the reason that we want you, Sunbury, is for what you teach. She, and she said, what we're interested in is the path of power. And she said, and we, we like what you say. And what I t what, the statement that they particularly liked was one that I told them that the only philosophy I ever want to hear is one that will grow corn. And by that, I mean a philosophy that works for you every day, here and now, on the Earth Mother. You shouldn't have to wait till you get to heaven for it to work for you. And he said, you know, they said, we've had enough fairy dust already to last us for 10,000 years. So what we're wanting is something that's real. And there are a lot of people still that are fairy dust spreaders that come around. They can be, you know, they can be new age teachers or any age teachers. And that's what they're sprinkling is primarily little little things. And, and there's a lot of people who like that. They say, well, gee, you know, I want to see a, a purple light and I want to see uh, the, I want to hear the bing bing or whatever it is, you know. And, and they go from one, one, one trip to the next, but they never, uh, they, they, they never get a gut level philosophy that serves them and helps to change their life to where they're no longer having to go out there and, and weep and worry in a world that's all screwed up, you know. To me, what I want is, is I look and I don't, I, and the philosophy that I share, like my brother Peter last night, he told people, you know, what it is to him. It's something that works every day for you here and now. And, and to me, that's, that's what it has to be. I want to... Uh, share with you ways of doing things that will help you to take your power and then learn how to use that every day in your life so that you can effectively help other people in a real way. It's something of it that the healing process to me is not just uh, giving people uh, a band-aid or something. It's giving a person a perspective of life that keeps them from getting sick again. That's what it is. To me, like the Bear Tribe Medicine Society, this is a group that I work with. It's my society that I founded. And the Bear Tribe Medicine Society, we say that healing is knowledge. Knowledge is healing. And understanding that is very important because if you can help a person to get a perspective, a look at life 
that makes their life work better for them. So they're no longer going around all wiped out to where they can, you can free them of the mind locks that they put on their head. The little mind locks. Now these are, these are the little funny things that we're going to talk a little bit about. Over in Germany, I had a woman come to me and she followed me around in Germany. And she'd been over to the bear tribe, this woman, before that. And she thought that she had a bad spirit with her. It was keeping her from thinking thoughts and freeing it. What I told her, I said, is you have a mind lock. You have certain little thoughts that just sit there. And that's the only thoughts that you think. And they're thoughts that have been put there by somebody, you know. Or you come about some way on them. I'm no good. My mama said I was no good and I'm no good. Or I'm no, or this or that is a, is a heavy, heavy duty thing that you just carry around. And these cripple you. These cripple you. These keep you from becoming whole, beautiful human beings. It's something to me that the more I look at the world, the more I have to say that the really the big problem is right up in the head. Ninety percent of the illnesses of humanity start out in the head. They start out with anger, fear, jealousy, things like that. They take power from you. Those are your power stealers. Those, the basic, the really the 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 big problem in the world. And you're going to probably want to get up and punch me in the nose right now, but it's not Margaret Thatcher or Ronnie Reagan. It's you. You're the big problem in the world because all the rest of it. You allow it to happen, you know. You got when you take your power and you start in, you start in cleaning out this little box that rides on your shoulders. Then you got, then you got to start on it. That's where the that's where the problem is. It's the the, the thing of it is like like we look at the world and we create the world. We create the world and we we play the same tape all the time when we say, well, this tape is me. This tape is me. This is the way that I, I am going along in the world and I'm, I'm, and, and we got all kinds of people we can blame for it, you know. We can blame a lot of people for our tape, you know. But you have this little tape and it says that what, whatever that tape might be that we put in there and, and we have allowed We've allowed a lot of people to take our power, keep us from becoming whole, beautiful, real people. And the people, the way we put it, you know, is that we have this little thing that we, we just love to tell it that somebody else is doing it to us. We say, well, I would do this but my husband wouldn't let me. Or my wife wouldn't let me. Or my uncle or my auntie or my father or my mother. 
I used to listen to this rap from my mother, you know, and she told me about how that her dad wouldn't let her do this or that, and then after that it was her husband's, you know. She got after she got older, it was very it was a little bit more encouraging because she got older and she forgot about my dad. He was the last one, so she didn't discuss him as much as the other two for some reason or other she remembered the other two more vividly, so she could give a total rendition of the terrible things that they'd done to her and everything. And it's something of it that we get to where we are carrying these negative tapes so strongly that we can't hear. We can't hear the spirit at all. The spirit don't come, to, you know, we don't have any space for the spirit to give us any medicine, or any power. And like a lot of people, they wonder, you know, they wonder why they have, can't develop or aren't developing into a great, powerful, spiritual person, you know. They say, well, gee, why can't, why can't I have powerful visions or do powerful things in the world and so forth? And they just continue on their path as a nerd, you know, feeling that there isn't anything really, really good in the world for them. And it's because of the fact that they will never, they're never willing to let loose those old tapes, you know. You haven't got no space for the Creator to give you anything until you let loose the old tapes. Remember that. Now those tapes have another depth to them. And this is where you lose your power. Oh, you lose your power so completely in this one. And this is where you get your sicknesses from. This is your anger, your fear, and your jealousy. Those are the biggest power stealers and the ones that give you the most sicknesses of anything. And that's the ones where you think about, where you get into it. You know when you get really angry about something? You can go around for half a day being angry. And the only thing that keeps turning up in your mind is that heavy-duty thing of that somebody said something nasty to you that morning or something else happened to you, you know? And you get, and you just wear out that tape there. And nothing else, you haven't got no space for anything else at all. And then you have the jealousy thing, you know. A jealousy, well, John looked at my Mary too long. And Mary looked at Joe too long, you know. And oh boy, that one, you can really get a lot of mileage out of that one. That turns all up inside here, you know. And it's really heavy duty and everything. And, uh, and you got the one of... <coughs> You got the heavy, heavy-duty frustration with the job and with the, with the guy that, you know, the guy that is over there and he works in the job and he, he has makes some comments about you or something or maybe, maybe he chews gum too loud or something, you know. It can be anything of that there. And you're carrying that there, you know, and, and everything, it gets to where, like, I know all about this when I worked up in the woods one time with a guy all winter. We were working in the woods together and staying in the same cabin, you know, and they call it cabin fever up in Minnesota. And this guy, he had a little problem of whistling, and it was always the same tune he'd whistle, and I was about ready to whack him alongside of the head with a double-bitted axe to shut him up by spring, you know. I had to control myself completely. And 
this is the kind of situation that you have where you call, you know, these people, this man had become a pain in the neck to me, you know. And I would invariably, by the end of the day, I'd have an ache right back in here, right back in my neck here. That was where he got me, really, you know. And if I would have stuck around with him long enough, it would have went down my side and it would have been become an ache or an energy block in another place. It would have become an energy block in another place. And that energy block would have become cancer, you know. That would have become cancer, you know. That's what happens. Now, very important to understand that there because those are the things that take power from us. That is what keeps you from from getting yourself, and if you can acknowledge those things first, get, take care of, you know, like, you know, saying, hey, you know, who's doing this to me, you know? Who's making me jealous? Oh, I see the guy there. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's, who's making me angry, really? Where's the anger really coming from? Oh, yeah, I see that guy. Yeah, I see him, yeah, yeah. Because it's what you're seeing. It's the way you're seeing it that's, that's running the trip on you. Remember that, you know. That's where you're giving your power away. And it's really, you know, I could give you, I could take, give me, give me three minutes with any one of you or five minutes and I can make you angry or jealous or whatever, you know. Because that's, that's the buttons. We did it, one time we were on a wagon train show and uh, I and some other guys we were doing this show. I used to work in pictures for about ten years, playing cowboys and Indians, falling off my head off of horses and stuff. Still, still works to some degree. But anyhow, this guy come in and and he was just fine. He was just happy and chipper and everything, you know. And we look at him and say, "See, Joe, you don't look so good today," you know. And he, he we we kept after him. And the afternoon he was sick, you know. So it's all, it's all very possible. Just remember that. And it's when you begin to reshape your way of thinking and dealing with things that you get are able to hold your power. Now, native people had different ways of getting rid of this negativity, and it's very important for you to to learn how to perform the little operations up here to get those tapes out because that's survival that's your survival that's the first tip you know you aren't going to be able to solve any of the other world problems until you get rid of your own crap literally you know and what the native people had was a way that they would do it like among the Mexican Indians before the fiesta happens he built this big paper mache statue and they put on it little little pieces of paper, and on these pieces of paper are the things that they feel bad about in their life. I feel badly about how my mother treats me or how my husband treats me. I'm mad about this or that that happened in my life. They put this on a piece of paper, and they put it on this paper mache statue. They call the statue Dr. Gloom. Doctor? Dr. Gloom. And then they take and set fire to it, and they, it all goes up in a roar. And they, oh, thank you, thank you, you know. It's all gone. 
Now, the Apache, they have a way of getting rid of negativity. And what the Apaches do is that they take and have a, in the spring of the year, they dance through their villages with these swords and they drive out any bad spirit out of the village. And then they go along with, and they have these, they usually use cedar boughs, and they sweep, they sweep through the village, and they sweep anything that's left over, anything bad that's left over. And then they sprinkle over the village, around in the village, they sprinkle white cornmeal as a blessing, that everything there should be healed. And that's the way they get rid of it. Now the people of California, they have another way of doing it. What they do is that they go out, go through their village or, or, or through the ceremonial grounds. Usually they have a bear dance and it's done in a circle. And they have a bear that dances around the circle. And as he dances around the circle, they strike him with uh, willow uh, or with wormwood switches and as they strike them with a wormwood switch they speak out the things that are bothering them and i'm afraid that's all there is of that particular bit of the tape from the workshop i've got other tapes but they don't kind of join on so we're never going to get to know what happened to the bear uh it was a person dressed as a bear by the way not a not a real bear I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, I'll put up some other stuff very soon. I'm not going to go on too much now because it's uh, been a long podcast. Um, I didn't really appreciate Sunbear when I first worked with him because it was 23 years ago and I was a bit overawed by the fact that I was doing this stuff and I kind of didn't really have too many medicine teachers to compare him to. But uh, it's been a real pleasure listening to the tapes over the last few days and remembering him. And uh, he really had some really important things to say, I think. So I really hope that you enjoyed that. My email, nick at sacredhoop.org. I'm not going to give all the website stuff. You can find that easily enough. Um, you know, listen to another podcast or something like that. They're always there. <laughs>